Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek, and we have plenty to talk about today. Of course, the president talking about shutting down the border with Mexico. A lot of people in agriculture are very concerned about what that could mean for trade. We'll talk with Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, now president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, about that situation. would certainly have a big impact on dairy exports. We will talk about that Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone will join us. We'll talk about trade and flooding issues and their impact on the markets. And Brian Keel, Executive Director for Farmers for Free Trade, will join us. Farmers for Free Trade about to announce a big push for USMCA. They have a special announcement that we'll get here a little bit later on in today's program. But we're going to start things off talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Still a lot of reaction to the latest announcements on the EPA's granting of waivers to the RFS, the small refinery exemptions. Now we're waiting for word on more, right? Correct. Yeah, it looks like uh, sometime this month, maybe uh, mid-April, mid to late April, we'll, we'll, we'll get a uh, kind of a much-awaited decision on the, the 39 pending small refining waiver applications that, uh, that, are, are, that the EPA is currently evaluating. Uh, Wheeler was before the, uh, the before a I believe a House Budget Committee um, or House Appropriations Committee uh, yesterday. Maybe it was a Senate. Uh, my apologies, but um, and he said that said just as much that we're still evaluating, we're still waiting to get some feedback from the Department of Energy, and uh, should expect it sometime later this month. Well, I guess based on past history, we could expect all or at least most of those uh, requests to be granted. Yeah, there was um, the ethanol, a, a big portion of the ethanol industry was actually in D.C., um, and I was spent the last couple of days there and talking to folks. And the overwhelming feeling uh, that they get from the EPA and others, you know, they're up there talking to people on the Hill, is that to a, they're bracing for the worst. There's not much optimism at the moment that the EPA is going to, to, to depart uh, substantially from what was, uh, from the ethanol's point of view, from the ethanol industry's point of view, a very disappointing 2017 uh, application season, which which EPA did not deny any. Um, so, I think there'll be some 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 push to maybe do some partial waivers that that reduces the overall uh, exempted amount in terms of gallons. Um, but I think the ethanol industry is bracing for a, a kind of a, a large number of applications to get approved similar in line with 17 that's what that's what they're bracing for i think that's what they're they're, that's what they believe is going to happen so unless there is a dramatic reduction in the number uh, approved or granted in this round it would seem it's pretty much business as usual for this epa under andrew wheeler as it was with scott pruitt on this issue yeah i mean i think i think the epa will see somewhat would, would probably defend its actions a little bit differently. I think if they do the partial waivers, I think they'll, they'll, they'll at least try to tout that as a, um, 
they want to say a concession because this is supposed to be an objective scoring system, which it obviously isn't. Um, but I think they'll, they'll, I think they'll try to paint it as uh, we, we, we heard what the uh, ethanol industry was saying, and 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 we, while we, the number of applications that were technically approved it remains in line. The actual amount of gallons is, is, is substantially less than the, the prior year. That's not going to be a, a winning argument for the ethanol industry, but I, um, and, and that does, it's not going to be persuasive for them because the gallons is still a large number. Um, but I think they have to have something to communicate to that industry that's clearly signaling that they're upset with the way, the way things are being handled. Well, if EPA grants all those requests, you can pretty well wipe out or mute whatever impact granting E15 sales this summer would have. Yeah, I mean, that's the overwhelming sentiment. The people I talked to um, over the past 48 hours, that's exactly what they communicated to the lawmakers, uh, essentially. You know, the E15 is a very easy thing to explain. Um, lawmakers that, particularly from Midwest states, are applauding those efforts. Um, but I think the, the ethanol industry spent a good time meeting with lawmakers yesterday um, and maybe perhaps a little bit on Monday as well, uh, explaining exactly that. that. Hey, listen, E15 was great. It was a big win, and we're happy for it. But all that is negated by X, Y, and Z. And I think uh, the feedback I got was that the lawmakers were kind of uh, sympathetic to that, and, and they're going to see what they can do. But in reality, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of at the end of that game at the moment, right? So we don't have that much time to, for, uh, for lawmakers to intervene and really change the, the, the momentum of the process. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Meanwhile, USDA out with a uh, report showing that uh, ethanol fuel is uh, environmentally more friendly than gasoline when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. So that is a, a positive uh, story, again, for uh, renewable fuels, and we'll see uh, what kind of traction that gets and how the oil industry responds to that. You know, Mike, one of the one of the major challenges of covering ethanol in, in this industry is that you could write a story, um, a competing story, almost daily on uh, people uh, put out stuff um, that that one kind of negates the other, and it's a real challenging to get hard facts a lot, and particularly in this realm. We talked last time about you know what are the impacts of these waivers on 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 the ethanol. There's obviously you know differing points of view on that. You know, I, I uh, maybe it's uh, maybe I shouldn't, but I, I try to stay away a lot of times on on these types of things, is, um, because there are challenge and there's there are competing theories on on that. Uh, certainly, the ethanol industry is going to tout that report. There's no doubt about it, and uh, and they should. Um, it's obviously a credible source uh, that that has done it. So, I, you know, a lot of that is these reports serve as uh, talking points. Um, and they're important to bring to lawmakers who have influence, and they, they serve as a real, um, you know, kind of spear, tip of the spear for right. getting these uh, uh, these messages across. It comes. It can become a battle of studies after a while. And, <laughs> but one other, I, I saw something out from the oil industry claiming that uh, something along the lines of E15s approved. You know, uh, a majority of the vehicles on the road today couldn't even use it, which is. Ridiculous, unless there are a lot of really old vehicles on the road, because EPA has approved E15 for 2001 and newer model year yeah. vehicles. You know, I think, I think what they're trying, they're, they're, they're obviously messing with the facts here, and I think there's probably a majority. Well, I, let me say this: 
there could be a majority of vehicles that have like warranties that are not covered if you use E15 or something along those lines. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't. It doesn't mean that the car will, would, can't run on it or shouldn't run on it. Uh, I think they, they use that unfairly and, and try to expand it to say that, that they can't run or something along those lines. They're clearly bending facts. Um, and the, Messaging. You know, the auto industry will say that on the record. You know, so. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of messaging going on, that's for sure. Well, Jared, thanks a lot. We'll talk again after we uh, find out about uh, this, the announcement on the next round of uh, waivers. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Take care. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. We're going to talk about dairy exports next with Tom Vilsack, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. My name's Doug Sibbett. I'm a marketing rep for Nutrient. And for corn, uh, use recommendations, pre-plant nitrogen management. And I think for pre-plant situations, I want to get at least 80% of the nitrogen that they're going to use for the entire season is ESN. And then the rest could be urea, UAN, I don't care, some soluble source of nitrogen out there. Yep and they wouldn't have to apply any side dress. That's the pre-plant option. Yeah. Another option would be to put some soluble nitrogen, say 28% or a dry with the planter and coming back with ESN post. And you could use either 100% ESN in that situation or depending on the application timing, you might mix a little bit of AMS or urea with it. Yeah. ESN gives you the best insurance for nitrogen out there today. Yeah. You're looking at a 50 to 80 day protection policy basically we're looking at with ESN is to get that protection out there and maximize that crop yield recently on Adams on Agriculture Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst joins us flooding and recovery efforts in the final analysis whether it's because of mistakes by the core or climate change or an act of God the one thing we know for sure is that these floods are happening more often and they're more severe when they do happen so we have to get a new plan. Increasing flood storage in the reservoirs, that's a man that's a decision. We decide how much we decide how many feet of flood storage we want there to start the, the spring flooding season with. That's gotta be increased. We've got to look at uh, making sure the river channel is clean. We've got big deposits in places along the river, uh, much less uh, channel than we had maybe ten or twenty or thirty years ago. Uh, we've got levees that we always repair them about right back where they were again. We've got to improve the system so I guess our focus is going to be talking about changes that will make the future safer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 
800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, President Trump talking about closing the border with Mexico, and that brought up questions. Does he mean just people moving back and forth, or what about goods? He has told reporters now, sure, it would have a negative effect on the economy, but to me, trading is very important. The borders are very important, but security is what is most important. Well, it would certainly have an impact on trade. The dairy industry in particular would uh, be hard hit. Mexico, a huge customer for U.S. dairy. Here to talk about that is former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Uh, Mr. Secretary, your thoughts on the, the potential closing of the Mexican border and its impact on the dairy industry? Mike, this would be incredibly disruptive to the dairy industry. I think we have to put this in the context of five years of little or no income for the industry with low prices, rising debt, farm sales, bankruptcies. This is an export-dependent industry. It's been hit with tariffs. We pulled out of TPP, giving some of our competitors advantages in the Japanese market. And Mexico's our number one market. Uh, 30% of all dairy exports go across that border. So closing the border would disrupt $3.8 million daily of daily uh, of dairy product crossing the border, impacting farm income and 16,500 jobs that are connected to dairy exports to Mexico. Bad idea. Um, the reality is if we want border security, we need immigration reform and we need an enhanced border security uh, effort by Congress and by the administration not closing the border. This at a time when the dairy economy is already struggling. Not only struggling, but also hopeful uh, that we get the USMCA trade agreement ratified. This is also going to make that much more complex. It's already extremely complex with the retaliatory tariffs that Mexico assessed because of the steel and aluminum tariffs we assessed on them. So this is a complex relationship. Uh, What it doesn't need is more complexity uh, and, and more friction. Uh, Closing the border would obviously create uh, some serious issues, uh, not only with our economy, but with our relationship with Mexico. And I think it would uh, compromise our capacity to get the USMCA through the process more quickly. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on USMCA, saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns that uh, either House Democrats or House Republicans have also expressed some concerns about the agreement. There are side agreements. There is implementing legislation that could provide some assurance to to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are uh, currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, uh, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with, obviously, uh, and why compound that process by closing the border and creating even more uh, concern and and, and friction. At the end of the day, uh, I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement to sort of solidify what we have and to improve, uh, certainly for the dairy industry, uh, opportunities. We are hearing about uh, some talks with Japan. What are you hearing? Well, that certainly can't happen uh, 
quick enough as far as the dairy industry is concerned. I mean, the reality is we are now at a competitive, significant competitive disadvantage. When we pulled out of TPP, the EU entered into a free trade agreement with Japan. Uh, essentially, uh, New Zealand now has uh, an advantage uh, on the dairy side. The EU has an advantage on the dairy side because uh, the, Japan also entered into the comprehensive Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement with the other nations of TPP. So we are at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, we need a negotiated agreement that will put us at a level playing field. Here's what's at uh, stake for the dairy industry. We have a tremendous opportunity in a growing dairy market in Japan to maybe double uh, our volume and triple uh, the prices that we get uh, currently from that market. Uh, but we could potentially lose market share if we don't have a level playing field. Right now it's not level. Uh, hopefully the administration can negotiate a deal with Japan uh, this year. Hopefully the administration can also reach a conclusion with China uh, so that we're in a position to, to reclaim uh, opportunities in that market that have been shut off because of the tariffs. We're talking with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. All right, uh, China talks going on again this week. A lot of hope, a lot of optimism. We've heard that before. Uh, what are you seeing and hearing that uh, makes you think something may be getting done? Well, I think the, the focus now, Mike, and, and understandably, is on the enforcement mechanism. I think that the, the, the parties have reached a, probably a consensus and a, and a series of agreements on some of the substantive issues. The question is, how do we keep China uh, to uh, basically perform what it promises uh, it's going to do? Uh, hopefully that doesn't involve keeping the retaliatory tariffs on the books. Hopefully uh, those tariffs can be lifted. Uh, if we have a, a continuation of those tariffs, once again, that would negate any benefit that we would get from any agreement. Uh, so the hope is that the enforcement mechanism is something that does indeed hold uh, the Chinese uh, feet to the fire, makes them follow through with their promises, but doesn't limit the capacity of the U.S. dairy industry to do business in China. China needs our dairy. We want to sell dairy to them. Uh, we've got a quality product sustainably produced. Uh, let's reopen that market and, and give dairy producers a, a lot more hope than they have today. Well, the president, of course, has talked about leaving tariffs on even after an agreement is announced. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that for the dairy industry that doesn't do business with state-owned enterprises in China but does it with a private, uh, private industry in China, uh, that would make it much more difficult for us to reap any benefit uh, out, of this, uh, out of this agreement. So the hope is the enforcement mechanism is something that allows for a uh, reigniting uh, the tariffs or uh, reestablishing the tariffs, but taking them off for the time being, uh, giving the Chinese the opportunity to prove that they're good, that they're good uh, to their promises. If they're not, uh, perfectly legitimate for the administration to suggest that there needs to be an enforcement mechanism, and it should be a strong one. Uh, but at the end of the day, I hope it's not a, an enforcement mechanism that delays the impact and the benefit of a trade agreement that could potentially be reached with these folks. Well, so far we've talked about concerns and question marks. Are there some bright spots uh, when it comes to the dairy export picture right now? Well, Southeast Asia, uh, we're in the process of uh, tr trying to continue uh, deepening our presence in Southeast Asia. We think there's opportunity there. Uh, we think there's opportunity in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, we actually uh, finished 2018, uh, which was a, 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 our best year ever in, in dairy exports. We hope to be able to build on that. Uh, our expectation is the first couple months of this year uh, might be a little bit challenging, but uh, we think by, by the end of 2019 we'll be regaining some of the momentum we had in 2018. Let's circle back to Mexico and USMCA. If it does not pass... The president has talked about pulling out of NAFTA. What impact then would that have on uh, our dairy exports? 
Uh, it would be uh, incredibly devastating because we would lose our, our financial advantage that we have with uh, our, our access being on, uh, essentially with no tariffs. We would now then go back to a most na- uh, favored nation status uh, with Mexico, which would put us on par with the EU, uh, potentially put us at a competitive disadvantage. We'd have a logistical advantage, but still, uh, I think it would send a very strong message uh, not for the Mexicans not to be over-reliant uh, on the U.S. dairy industry. Seventy-five percent of all dairy imports that go into that country come from the U.S. We'd like to maintain that market share. The way to do that is by having USMCA passed and uh, for the president not to have to pull the lever on pulling out of NAFTA. All through the negotiations of USMCA, much of the agricultural focus was on changes in uh, policy with with regards to dairy and Canada. Haven't heard a lot about that lately. What are we... Uh, hearing from Canada, is there any difference, uh, any changes been going on, or is it business as usual? Where, where are we at? It's business as usual until the USMCA is ratified. At that point, uh, within six months after ratification, the Class 7 pricing system that's sort of uh, disrupted the powder market will, will end, and a new system be put in place. We'll have additional market access. So, again, contingent on getting USMCA through the process. So... Are Canadian dairy policies still disrupting or hurting U.S. dairy producers? Uh, That will continue as long as they have the ability to undercut the world market in terms of powder prices. Uh, Our hope is that that in terms of of the future relationship that the USMCA basically sets forth um, and sends a message that if they have a supply management issue within Canada that they have to deal with it inside the, the borders of their country without having to export that problem to the rest of us. Uh, that's the whole purpose of getting rid of Class 7. We hope that the implementation of that results in, in a better relationship, a stronger relationship with our Canadian friends, and we hope that the market access that they've granted, although it's not great, uh, it's better than it was or will be better than it was, in, in which case it, it's additional opportunity for us. All right, Mr. Secretary, good to talk with you again, and uh, hopefully we'll get some good news on the, all these trade fronts, uh, at least uh, some positive news here soon. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take care. Bye. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Again, Mexico, the number one customer for U.S. dairy exports. So uh, if that border does get closed down, if trade gets disrupted, that's going to be a major blow uh, to agriculture in general, dairy industry in particular. Uh, So we'll be watching that closely and what happens with USMCA. Well, we'll talk about those issues and the flooding issues and more with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. We'll talk markets next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. 
Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. After trending mostly higher in the overnight trade, back to a mix for the grain and oil seed sector on this Wednesday. Not much field work taking place across the Midwest, yet seven-day forecast looks wet but all but the western edge of the Corn Belt. Trade talks between China and the U.S. resuming in Washington on this Wednesday. We were led in the overnight session by Chicago wheat, which is trending three to four and a half higher an hour into this session. New crop July up four at four seventy-two and a half. Kansas City wheat a fraction higher on the new crop, but Minneapolis spring wheat trending three to four and a fraction lower. May corn was marginally lower on Tuesday. We're a bit firmer on this Wednesday. May up a penny at three sixty-two and a half. December up a penny and a quarter at three ninety and three quarters. Soybeans, the May contract down a penny and a half at eight ninety-eight and three quarters. November down just a fraction, three quarters of a cent lower an hour into the trade day at 9.32. Livestock, the Merck in lean hog futures trending higher once again. June lean hogs up a dollar forty-seven, ninety-two ninety-seven. Feeder cattle trending lower once again after Tuesday losses. May feeders down fifty-seven at one forty-seven twenty-two. Live cattle are 15 to 47 cents lower. April down 15 at 126.12. Ag lobbyists out in force with warnings for the president not to close the southern border with dairy groups leading the charge along with pork producers. Cash hog trade expected to be steady midweek. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 32, crude oil near unchanged. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, you've built, been building your friendly scenario for corn. USDA last week didn't seem to get your memo. 
<laughs> they did not. They certainly punched some holes in it. Um, and frankly, what this does is set us up in a scenario now where corn does not need to rally if there are no weather problems and if China is not involved in the market. If we stay the status quo, China uh, corn does not need to rally. But either of those two things could still cause a significant rally. So it didn't change the big picture that much, although it decreased confidence that we get a rally without one of those two things happening. I'm still fairly confident that weather is a factor and going to be a factor. I'm even more confident uh, that uh, we will see something out of China and we seem to be moving that direction, but those are the risks going forward. Those numbers last week, though, really didn't take into account, did they, the the flooding situation? No, they did not. Now, that's that's kind of a two-pronged thing. We we lost some grain, probably 10 to 20 million bushels of grain is what the satellite imagery would suggest. I'm talking about grain bins that uh, burst open, et cetera. Uh, and that's a, a combination of corn and soybeans. But we also had demand destruction. We continued to see some demand destruction. The ethanol report that just came out a few minutes ago showing that we're still not up to speed there because we have rail lines still down that cannot move the ethanol away from the plants, um, backing things up. And, and so those problems are still existing out there. Um, but, uh, no, it did not account for that, nor did it uh, – uh, account for, um, uh, uh, you know, the planning intentions portion of it either and how that has changed it. And that's a big unknown still at this point, right? It really is. Now, between the acreage and the bearish stocks number, the worst number is the bearish stocks number. Um, because in reality, I think what it is is USDA understated the size of the crop. Uh, we didn't see larger hog, big cattle, and chicken numbers simply go on a diet during the winter. In fact, the cold winter would have increased their feed intake needs. So in all likelihood, we had a bigger crop than what USDA estimated. Um, but USDA won't change the size of the crop until next fall, September or October. So therefore, the only way to make the balance sheet work is to cut feed usage. And when you cut feed usage, the market's going to assume, well, next year's feed usage is going to be lower as well. So it's kind of a double whammy hurting the demand side when in reality it's a uh, rather small blip in, su- in the supply side. And uh, I think down the road as we correct it, it'll be friendlier. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, we know it's still early April, and the, we've talked about this before. Markets always assume that crops are going to get planted, especially until we get at least into May. But you have to look at the what's going on and say some of those acres not only will be late, but some, uh, maybe a lot of them just won't get planted this year. Uh, when does that start having a, a market impact? Typically not till we get to late April or in May and the forecasts look into the middle of May. And, and that very well may be the case this year as well. The caveat is that if we get a trade deal with China or look like we're getting close enough to a trade deal with China and the market starts getting confident that China is going to come in and buy a significant amount of corn, ethanol, and DDGs, um, then suddenly the the weather matters a lot more and they'll start trading it a lot sooner. And uh, so even though we may think they should be trading it sooner, the market has just become so skeptical over the years, thinking, oh, we always complain about weather delays and the crop always gets planted. I do think that this year is a little bit differently, but I don't think we'll convince the market of that until they see a jump in demand 
um, which would be like a China purchase. Without knowing what the China deal would be, uh, could we actually build a friendlier impact for corn than soybeans on a China deal? Uh, very much so. In fact, what I would speculate is that the China deal will actually help reinforce how bearish soybean fundamentals are. I think the soybean market's been holding up at levels that it is, believing that a China deal will save the day with massive purchases. And I think that's because people have been led astray and not really told the truth about how bad the demand destruction is in China because of African swine fever. And so they think China's going to need the soybeans. Whereas, And I talked to our Brazil team on Tuesday. I told them, you need to be prepared for how bad that demand destruction is because it's going to hurt you as well as us. And uh, I don't think the market grasped that yet. But it's still friendly for corn. We're still looking at a deficit. China typically starts its auctions of corn now. Last year, it started the 1st of April, went through October, and offered about 5 million metric tons per week. Uh, and this year, we think those auctions will delay till June and probably only offer about 3 million metric tons per week. They still are a deficit. Demand is still bigger than production, but not nearly as much as what it was last year because of African swine fever. Let's talk about African swine fever. I mean, there are reports that continuing to spread. Uh, it doesn't look like that, that story is coming to a close anytime soon. Exactly right. And I don't think people have grasped the significance of it. As we talked to our people on the ground there in January, they said, man, it's, it's cut hog feeding by 15%. And by March, that had grown to 30%. And when we talked to them uh, this week, um, they said, well, the two biggest provinces of Henan and Shandong, and by the way, the government has only officially confirmed one reported case of African swine fever in Shandong, but yet they said hog feeding is down 50% in these two largest producing areas. And I said, what is it nationally now? Is it still 30%? And they said, no, it's a 40% reduction in hog feeding now. 40%, that's, a, that's 22% of the world's hogs that production capacity has been lost. And uh, that is huge. We have not grasped the significance of how that will change uh, global dynamics uh, in the coming years. We think this is a five- to seven-year process, and China says that this is all under control, and they just scoff at that. They said this is continuing to get bad and get worse. Um, so uh, it's, it's continuing to grow. So they have, will have fewer hogs to feed, which obviously negatively impacts uh, potential for soybean exports. But on the other hand, if we get something worked out and can move pork in there, that would seem to open up the market for some U.S. pork exports. Pork, poultry, and beef, I think, all benefit because mm -hmm. you simply do not fix a deficit of about 15 million metric tons of beef. Uh, with pork because I added up all the pork, all the hogs produced in Canada, United States, uh, Mexico, and Brazil. If we sent every hog we produce on an annual business, to on an on annual basis to China, we still would not replace the, the hog capacity that they have uh, already lost due to the disease. So China is aggressively trying to see where it can also get poultry supplies and beef. Uh, and uh, right now, of course, they have restrictions on our poultry and beef, and I, I would assume that's part of the negotiations to lift those restrictions. All right. Meanwhile, the president talking about shutting down the border with Mexico. How do the markets react to that? So obviously they react negatively. Um, and 
I, I think that we go into this assuming we know it would cause pain for us. I think we assume that we're the only ones that would create pain, and and it would be painful for us. It would be even more painful for Mexico, dramatically so. And I'm reminded of of uh, all the gloom and doom predictions we heard when it came down to uh, uh, the NAFTA discussions. Um, now, that did end up hurting pork, but all the talk was also about how we'd lose corn, and we didn't because Mexico could not afford to lose that trade. Um, and I, I personally think it would be a very short shutdown because Mexico would be hit much, much worse than what we would. So I don't think it would be a very long shutdown. So while it would be painful for our trade here, I don't think it would last very long. Meanwhile, we're hearing some in the, in Congress saying that USMCA needs to be renegotiated. Wow, if we had to start all over, that, that would really take a long time, it would seem. Don't you love decisions by a committee of 435? I hope I got that number right. But, uh, yeah, and, and there's always going to be those distractors. But I think particularly if we do get a trade agreement with China here shortly, I think the momentum is going to be there uh, to go ahead and uh, approve the Mexico-Canada trade agreement as well. Uh, I think that there would be too much pressure to ride that momentum and not be seen as an obstacle for it, and I think it would go forward. And I think the momentum is also there for lifting those tariffs that are hampering uh, the pork trade with Mexico as well. All right, Arlen. Well, you've done a good job of rebuilding that uh, friendly case for corn. I, I was I was anxious to hear how you were going to do that, and you've you've done a good job of that. Well, it is going to take some doing, and it does take a trade agreement with China in particular. Um, and when it comes to China, nothing is known until it happens. And then I think it's one or two years of good trade, and then China goes back to their old ways. Um, but we should have a couple of years of good trade. China probably needs the ethanol worse than they need the corn. I think both will probably benefit. That's interesting and a good point. Good, Some good information there. Arlen, as always, thanks for being with us. We'll see what happens with these talks with the Chinese leaders this week. Maybe we'll have something new to talk about on that front next week. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. All right. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Some uh, very good perspective there. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. They are announcing quite a, a, a promotional effort coming up here this month to promote USMCA. We'll talk about it next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. 
And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now is Colin Woodall, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. As expected, it did not pass, was the uh, vote on the uh, Green New Deal. What'd you think of that? You know, EPA says that we are only 2% of the greenhouse gas emissions in this country. And we're only going to get better uh, because every day we are finding new science, new technologies that we can incorporate to make sure these animals are as efficient as possible and that we can produce as much high-quality beef as possible without having a major impact on the environment. And it's also lost on people like Congresswoman Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez that without a strong, healthy environment, we don't have an industry. And uh, we're trying to make sure that she, along with others, are aware that agriculture, especially the cattle business, is part of the solution. We're not part of the problem, Mike. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 
Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel. Brian, you have some news for us, uh, an announcement concerning a big promotional effort for USMCA. Tell us about it. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike, and great to be talking with you again. Um, yes, we, uh, we are, have, are undertaking a, a, a bold initiative in support of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Uh, we're calling it the Motor Kid for Trade Whistle Stop Tour, and it's going to be an 11-state, 14-day, 3,500-mile 3,500 road trip uh, in an RV from Midwest with events all along the way uh, in support of the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. Uh, so we're going to be we're going to have teams of people in this uh, this RV. The RV is wrapped with messaging about trade, and we're going to be going from town. We're going to be doing events at farms uh, in partnership with Farm Bureau, Soy, Corn, the different organizations along the route. Uh, we're going to be doing town hall events. Uh, we're going to be doing press conferences. Uh, it's just going to be a great way to raise awareness about this important issue throughout the Midwest. 14 days, 11 states, 3,500 miles. You're going to start on Friday, April 12th, and you're going to start in Pennsylvania, correct? That's correct. We'll start in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And each day of the trip, we have uh, we have a farm stop, so we have a, a farm uh, rally that will anchor each day. So each day we'll start with a, a, a gathering at a farm in, in uh, each state we go through. And, and uh, again, the local act groups are working together, so we're going to encourage people to turn out in big numbers. We'd like to have good good, uh, good turnout at those events. We'll invite the press. It'll be an opportunity to talk about why trade with Canada and Mexico matters so much. And then uh, throughout the day, we'll do little stop-bys. We'll stop by dairies. We'll stop by... Uh, processing facilities, just a chance to really get awareness throughout the day in multiple locations about why trade is so important. So you'll be in the states of Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, and Montana. And as you said, uh, you'll be in this RV that's wrapped with the messaging about uh, the importance of trade with Canada and Mexico, and then holding these events uh, uh, to get the the message out. Hopefully, you know. Obviously, you're trying to you're trying to drum up support. Uh, this comes at a time when we've heard some members of Congress uh, critical of the USMCA deal. Even some saying it needs to be renegotiated. Uh, changes are going to have to be made in Mexico before they're going to support this. Uh, so, I mean, the battle lines are kind of being drawn uh, to get this thing done. That's, that's 
absolutely right. For for farm country, this is one of the all hands on deck moments. We need everyone engaged uh, because there are the Congress who are on the fence. And we've, we've designed this road trip to go through critical congressional districts. We'll be asking for things with members of Congress along the way. This road trip happens during a two-week congressional recess. So the Congress will be out in states. It's a great opportunity for farm country to show up and say what well, is so important. People need to remember, Canada's our number one ag export destination. We send more food and ag products to Canada than any other country on the earth. Mexico is our number three destination. Uh, each year we send about $40 billion worth of ag products to Canada and Mexico. Without trade with those two countries, uh, we're dead in the water. And we need this in a really big way. And obviously this comes at such a critical time for agriculture with the ag economy struggling and uh, the need for these uh, these trade deals to get done. That's right. I mean, we need we need women in a big way. You know, we've been working working for a while on these issues, and it's high time we had a win. You know, this is a trade deal that that President Trump negotiated with Mexico and Canada. It's a good deal. It builds on on NAFTA, which was great for agriculture. Uh, it takes that deal, makes it a little bit better, adds some intellectual property protections and some other items. Uh, better for dairy farmers. Uh, what we need to do is take this package, get Congress to pass it. Uh, stabilize that trading relationship with Mexico and Canada and have uncertainty with our two biggest trading partners. So this this is a really important issue, and, and that's why, frankly, we're doing this kind of audacious road trip. I can tell you, by, by we're all going to be a little road-weary, but we believe so strongly in the thoughts that, that we're going to throw ourselves at this and encourage everyone to and really try to make a difference. So more details will be coming out, uh, so people should kind of stay tuned to see uh, where in their state or their area uh, the stop may be coming and the, the event that you have planned for that area. That's correct. Yeah, we'll be sending out updated details and a detailed itinerary. We'll have a web page where people can go. We're going to be using the hashtag Motorcade for Trade, um, so you can you can follow on social media, uh, Motorcade for Trade on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we're also going to be using, and I've, we've talked about this on your show before, we're going to be encouraging people to text USMCA to the number 52886. And people can do that right now. So if you take out your phone and you text to the number 52886 and you enter the letters USMCA, it'll send you a link where you can send a letter to your member of Congress saying, take up this bill and pass it into law. So people don't need to re- wait for the road trip started that now text usmca to 52886 we'll be pushing and encouraging people to do that throughout this road trip as well all right brian well thanks for joining us to make this announcement and we'll look forward to checking in with you uh, on the uh, whistle stop tour and get uh, some uh, daily reports uh, from the tour and how it's going all right that's great and mike we want to see you in the rv before this is all said and done we'll stay in touch with you Okay, thanks, Brian. Take care. All right, take care. That's Brian Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. So, again, they're putting together what they're calling the Motorcade for Trade Whistle Stop Tour. They'll have an RV wrapped with messaging about the importance of trade with Mexico and Canada. And they're going to start this on Friday, April 12th in Pennsylvania. It'll be 14 days, 11 states, 3,500 miles. Stay tuned. They may be coming to your state, may be coming to your area. We'll keep you updated on that uh, whistle-stop tour 
uh, as they go along. So they're going to be in the, a lot, covering a lot of ground in those two weeks. Well, that does it for today. Thanks for being with us tomorrow. Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin joins us to talk about the Dairy Pride Act. Hope you'll join us here on AOA.